How's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 148, and I went to Knoxville, Tennessee, and sat down with Joe Stiles. Joe Stiles is a bail bondsman and a fugitive recovery agent. He owns Bailfast Bonding there in Knoxville. And we talked all about the bail bond business, of which I really did not know much about. The only thing I had to go on was Dog the Bounty Hunter, and (laughs) a lot more to it than that, let me tell you. Joe shared a lot of stories and a lot about the business and the legal background, things like that. It was really interesting, and I I learned quite a bit, Um, found it very fascinating. Um. I want to talk about a couple different things. One, uh, I don't know if you watch RuPaul's Drag Race, but if you watch RuPaul's Drag Race, boy, is that a tongue twister, you will know that uh, there's a contestant, Brooklyn Heights, Brock Heho, who is on there. And Brooklyn Heights is fantastic. She's quite famous here in Nashville uh, as a drag queen, uh, incredible dancer, incredible performer. Well, she was on episode 25 of Hey Human. So if you follow RuPaul, <laughs> I can't say it, RuPaul's Drag Race, um, and you want to hear that episode, go back into the archives there and, and check out episode 25. It was a, it was a lot of fun uh, talking with Brock uh, and, of course, about his career as a ballet dancer um, and as Brooklyn Heights. So just wanted to bring that up. Some of you more eagle-eyed folks may notice that on uh, Hey Human, there is episode 36 seems to have vanished into thin air. It has not. I have actually made that uh, unhearable for a little while because the subject matter, uh, which is a story about John Jackson and uh, his experience as a teen having an affair with his teacher. Um, Well, there's some stuff coming up with that. And uh, the powers that be have asked that I remove it from the system for a little while while things get worked out. I can't talk about it too much, but uh, suffice it to say, it will get put back up again when everything is sorted. So just wanted to let you know that you're not imagining things. Episode 36 is missing and there's a reason for it. So, and it will not be missing forever. Also, uh, I have discovered a podcast called Everything is Alive. Oh my gosh, it is so good, so moving, beautiful. I gobbled it up. I was very bummed out when I got through all the episodes. (laughs) I binge listened to it while I was doing housework. And it's an extraordinary podcast. Um, So I highly recommend that one. It was it inspired me so much that uh, yesterday I had a co-write with the incredible artist Hadley Canary. If you don't know who that is, uh, definitely check her out. Um, she and I wrote a song from the perspective of a picture frame, and it's such a cool song. I was really proud of it, and it was inspired by the show Everything Is Alive. The premise of that podcast is uh, basically the interviewer interviews inanimate objects. Super cool. Anyway, not getting paid to tell you about that. Not getting paid to tell you about anything. Just get to tell you about the things I love, and that is certainly one of it. Uh, one of them. Another thing that I watched last night was a documentary called "The Mask You Live In." It's on Amazon. It's a rental. Um, it's not on Prime. It's very good. 
Um, I highly recommend watching that for parents and teachers, educators, coaches, um, whatever. It's it's really a brilliant film. And I just think even for, for anyone to watch and absorb that information, uh, the mask you live in documentary is killer. Okay, usual stuff. Social media, Hey Human Podcast is on Instagram. It's on Facebook. Susan Ruthism, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, heyhumanpodcast.com for the website. Um, you can email me, susan at heyhumanpodcast.com. Um, if you go to the website, there's a links page that I maintain. And for every episode, I make sure there's lots and lots of links and uh, information and books and all sorts of stuff. So definitely check that out. Uh, I'm very proud of my links page. <laughs> so I hope you go in and see it. Uh, speaking of the website, uh, heyhumanpodcast.com, if you go on there and also if you shop at Amazon uh, on an irregular and or regular basis, if you click on heyhumanpodcast.com, you'll find an Amazon portal. Click on the portal and be taken to Amazon. Shop like you normally would, and it helps support Hey Human. So please do that. I very much appreciate it. Uh, rate and review Hey Human on iTunes, and tell me what you think about the show, because that helps also big time. Next week on Hey Human, I sit down with Jamie Floyd, who some of you may recognize from the recent show, the Shania Twain show, Real Country. She's an artist, a songwriter, performer, uh, composer. She's working on a Broadway play. It's very exciting. Uh, there's all sorts of stuff going on for Jamie. She's an extraordinary woman. Uh, I really enjoyed talking with her and her story. Uh, learning her story. Um, yeah, so that's going to be a great show coming up next week. Definitely tune in for that one. I think that's pretty much everything that I wanted to cover. Oh, uh, if you want to know more about me, Susan Ruth, you can go to SusanRuth.com. And on there, you'll find my artwork that I paint and links to the music that I write, some albums that I've done, things like that. So you can check that all out. I think that's pretty much everything. Let's let's get to it. All right, here we go. Joe Styles, welcome to Hey Human. Thank you very much. I'm so excited. I uh, so we are in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, it's a bit of a of a journey, but I was really excited to make it. Yeah, you know, I do a lot of these online, but if I'm within a few hours, it seems worthwhile to to see a person in the flesh. That makes sense. Yeah. So he, we are here in your office. Um, it is uh, bail fast bonding That's and you are a bail bondsman. I am a bail bondsman. Now when I called you to say be on my show, I said, are you a bounty hunter? And you said, we don't like that word sir, or that, that you didn't like to be called a bounty hunter. So we go into that a little bit. Well, I don't particularly like to be called a bounty hunter. Now, there are people who are bail bondsmen who like the title. Um, it's more of a misnomer and it's more of a sensationalistic term that's been incorporated primarily by Hollywood types and mm. things of that nature. Uh, a bounty hunter brings to mind a person who operates outside of the law. He's the lone individual. It's a romantic figure, but it really doesn't have... Um, a lot to do with what we do as bail bondsmen and bail enforcement agents. Uh, a bounty hunter in the old West days, when he became, when that 
particular historical figure became uh, known would take a reward poster and just go out and track a person down beyond the territorial jurisdiction of law enforcement. And so by nature, he was, he became a romantic lone wolf outside of the law figure. Now, as bail bondsmen, we derive our authority to arrest an individual by their agreement for us to become their sureties on their bail, or in fact, as they've been referred to in court cases, the jailer of their choice. What does that mean? When an individual uh, is charged with a crime, in most cases, uh, there's a rare occasion where they may be tried in absent, what they call absentia. Mm -hmm. But in most cases, the state has to exercise physical custody of the individual in order to uh, try them, charge them, and then try them. They do this most often by what's called a warrant. Uh, in some cases, when it's presented to a grand jury, it'll come back as an indictment. But that is the instrument that the state uses to take physical custody of an individual who the state believes has committed a crime. In order for them to prepare for their case, a certain amount of time has to pass, and that individual has to be given time to prepare for their defense. In lieu of having them sit in physical custody, the state will set what's called a bail bond for them. And a bail bond is a guarantee of their appearance in court. In many cases, an individual can't afford the full amount of the bond, and so they will elect to have someone of their own choosing uh, post the bond for them. And that's where you come in. That's where the bail bondsman comes in, and he charges a fee for that service. Mm -hmm. um, for that fee, he guarantees the court that he will produce that person upon demand or he will pay the full amount of the bond. Now, many states have uh, uh, enacted legislation to limit the authority of the bondsman to do this, but it's an ages-old uh, legal theory going back all the way to Europe, where the traveling judges on authority of the king would go from place to place and when a person was arrested by the what they called the high sheriff they would be held for that traveling judge or they would be released to another person who would stand good for their appearance or suffer the same punishment so they could go to jail if that person skipped be, out sure or hung or whatever or hanged or whatever the past tense is um, now, that's, that doesn't happen, of course, in our case. Right. The, the only thing that can happen to us is a monetary loss. Has that happened? Oh, sure. It happens all the time. How do you... So you're, you're like a bank that is dealing with an element that may not... It's more like an insurance company mm. than a bank. Okay. Uh, because if... And here again, that's where a common misconception comes, even among people who are in the legal system. They believe that the reason we go after these people is because if we don't go after them, we would lose the money. Now, that is the result of our failing to uh, live up to our end of the contract. But we have a duty to go after these people and bring them back before the judge because that's what we've said we'll do. Mm. 
Actually paying the bond is the penalty that you suffer for failing to deliver on the contract. So they, the judge and the judge sets the bail amount, right? Is that well, someone in the judicial branch, more, more often than not, it's usually on like a first appearance for a warrant. It's usually a magistrate or a judicial commissioner. Now, occasionally you will have judges set bonds, but usually it's someone working just underneath the judge mm. on the judge's behalf. Okay. And then, and it could be anything. It could be a thousand dollars on up to millions of dollars right sure yeah have you had instances where you've turned down people because you thought there's no way this person's not going to try and get the heck out of here is it just is it ever uh, i mean do you just have to follow your gut how well no i mean that would make it more of an emotional response and and it is a business just like any other business so you can't i mean you do have gut feelings about individuals just like you have gut feelings in business but there are certain criteria that you ask a person on their initial interview to determine the risk that you are taking in posting their bond. Is the person a local person? Have they lived here for any length of time? Are they a homeowner? Are they gainfully employed? Um, is there someone that we can bring in as a cosigner or an indemnitor who will share the financial risk with us and also who will make it more of a personal risk to the individual in jail. For instance, someone who may not care one bit about running off on me is not going to want to run off on grandma if I've got to lean on grandma's house and she, you know, she's going to lose her home if he runs. And that is where the bondsman comes to. And also, that is another duty of the bail bondsman. It's not just they go to jail, we go post their bond, they get out of jail, we keep the money. There is a total concept of responsibility that comes with the bail bondsman being the one who is supposed to secure not only the release of the individual, but ultimately the final appearance of the person in court. Because that's what it's all about. Once your judicial system uh, has a high failure, what we call a failure to appear rate, then the judicial system breaks down. If there's no one there for anyone to prosecute or defend or judge or make motions on, the defendant is the most important person in the courtroom. Without him, it, it's almost impossible for a case to proceed. So the bondsman has a very, very, very important duty to ensure that the individual doesn't skip out on his court date and in fact shows up. So how do you maintain that integrity of your uh, your calling? How do you make sure? Do you check in? Do you have to go by their house? Do you sleep on their couch? Do you shackle yourself well, one-legged at a time? And, and you also have to understand though that you're being paid a fee by a person, okay? So you have a service that you have to render to them also. It's not just getting them out of jail. It's being fair to that individual because all of these people, except for appeal bonds, all of these people- Appeal bonds? Appeal. A oh, appeal. appeal, sorry, appeal. Appeal bonds. Yeah. All of these people are not convicted of any crime. Right, yet. innocent They're, until proven guilty. Exactly. Sure. And in order to maintain that integrity, you have to give them the greatest latitude mm. that you possibly can that doesn't become foolish. Okay, you know, you really. 
Theoretically, I could go by their house every day and check on them. I could have them calling in. But if they're going to be monitored that closely, they would then they're not much better off than being in jail. The, and that's one of the arguments that I have with a lot of the placebo technology that our legal system is using, the GPS monitoring and all that. That's the biggest bunch of hogwash that... It, it bespeaks more to our love of techno gadgets than it does anything else. A GPS monitor will tell you nothing more than where that GPS monitor is. That's what it will tell you. Sure. And until you make one that explodes when you try to take it off, there's no a person who's going to run is going to cut off the GPS monitor. There was a movie about that way back with Rucker Hauer, but they they were prisoners and they all had these gadgets around their neck that if they tried to run, it would blow their head off. It was in the future. <laughs> oh. um, those are. I'm sorry, my phones are transferred, and that's the good thing about technology. Now that is a good thing about technology. <laughs> Uh, I got into this business, we didn't carry cell phones. We carried, uh, well, actually, the, the first pager I ever had was a voice pager. And there would be a, a voice come over my pager that says, call your answering service. And then we got, we went to digital pagers. And then we went to the, um, what they called the alpha pagers. And alpha pagers. <laughs> Alpha pagers are sort of like one-way text lines. Okay. You carry a pager and they text you and you could actually read a message on the pager. Now, when that happened, that was an innovation in the bonding business. Because prior to that, after hours, the office wouldn't be staffed. And that was that is actually when you'll get pretty much the majority of your calls are at night. And so a person calls the answering service. The answering service takes the information of where they are in jail, what they're charged with, what their bond is, and a contact person for them. They, in turn, will call you and say, call your answering service. So you, if you're not near a, a regular phone, would have to stop and find a pay phone. Mm -hmm. you, you know what a pay phone is, right? Yes. Okay. They still have this. A, a pay phone. <laughs> You'll hear that ring. If that becomes disturbing, I, I don't really know how to turn it it's off. It's fine. And I'll just, okay. It's fine. But... You have to find a payphone and you call your answering service and you get your message. Then you have to call that person and talk to them about getting their friend out of jail. Then you have to call the jail. So on any given phone call that you're actually working on a bond, you might spend two or three dollars in quarters. So we would always carry rolls of quarters with us. I mean, you could tell a bell bond, I mean, a bell bondsman would have, you didn't start your day out without a roll of quarters. And you would go through a roll of quarters and sometimes in a matter of hours. Wow. Um, now, if you knew you were going to have to make several calls, if you're going to call several different people, then you would usually find a phone that you could work off of, either your home or your your office or something like that. But uh, when the cell phones... Now, there were cell phones. I started in this business in 1986. So were cell phones around yet? I they, know, well, there's cell, like phones were, cell phones were around in the 60s. Oh, okay. but, <laughs> those giant military ones? But cellular phones. Uh, I actually had one. I got into this business um, as a bell investigator, chasing the bell jumpers for a company. Uh, and I did that for about 12 years before I opened up my own company. And so my chase car, I had a company car that I because I traveled all over the country. And it had a old phone mounted in it, and it uh, 
could store nine numbers. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was really old school. And uh, there was no internet. And it was as big as the car. It actually had its own car. <laughs> well, the phone itself was in the trunk, okay? The only thing that was up here was the handset mounted yeah. in the... Oh, my gosh. And then the wires ran under the carpet to the back seat. The phone was actually in the trunk because it was like... Humongous. Yes. Oh, that's so funny. And so, of course, technologically things have advanced. I mean, I can now run my... Uh, I can now run my entire office off that right there. Off my, yeah, off your, off your, is that an Android or an iPhone? Uh, it's an Android. Okay. But, I mean, I can text, send emails. Oh, yeah. I can transfer Miracle calls. I can, uh, I, I have most of my legal forms on there. I can uh, uh, edit them, email them to my attorneys, email them to my agents. All I mean, I can literally... I was on a cruise ship in the Bahamas last year for a week, and no one knew I'd left town. Wow! And that's how, I mean that's, that's technology. So I'm curious, um, how what's the percentage of uh, female to male that you deal with as clients? Yes. Um, Is it overwhelmingly male? It used to be many years ago. It used to be overwhelmingly male. I mean, uh, uh. Usually a female would be something like um, a DUI, but almost overwhelmingly male. I worked in the Knox County Jail. When I first got out of the Army, I worked in the jail for several months, and they had 10 cell blocks of men and two cell blocks of women. I think they probably had 15, 20 women, and they had 400 men. Mm. So that ratio was you know, pretty much the standard for years. Uh, that's not the case now. It's I, I would guess it's almost fifty-fifty. Maybe I mean I mean I don't know the the exact percentage, but from observation, I would say it's fairly equal. Women's equality, right there. <laughs> equal opportunity and You are now liberated. <laughs> we are now liberated. The grandest irony of all. Thank you for your service, first of all, for all right. serving in the military. Um, what got you when you got out of the military and you said I'm going to go be the person that hunts down <laughs> and again I, I think of the, the the cartoon you know image which is brought from that wild west kind of thing and when we talked on the phone you said you know dead or alive and all that stuff and of course you're that's not how you guys right. operate at all um i want to make it clear i didn't tell you that we bring them in dead or alive no you didn't no. no you no 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 you okay. said that was the mis the, the misnomer of the wild west right. yes. of the Dead or alive, you know, they just saw the poster. They said, we got the reward we, money. And not it, allowed to do that. <laughs> of course not. No, of course not. But it's interesting because I think that people think that. Oh, I, I was uh, as late as probably 25, 30 years ago, I was chasing, chasing a jumper. We call it chasing a jumper. That's what we refer to it as. But I was going to arrest a person and I was going into a county other than my home county and almost always now it's a law but even back then those of us who you know were smart checked in with local law enforcement well some of the rural counties in East Tennessee may only have one or two deputies uh, and years now that's seldom the case now but years ago it was not uncommon for the entire county to be patrolled by one deputy at night and so the deputy came down to uh, 
checked my paperwork and he had never met a bail bondsman before and he said he didn't I mean who are you guys where are you going and it was it was a driving on suspended license charge it was like one of the lowest level misdemeanors but the guy hadn't showed up and we had to go get him and so he says look I was told that if I didn't know what was going on to call the sergeant he works at the city uh, police department he'll come down here so I'm like okay we'll call the sergeant that's fine so he gets on the radio and he calls and this other officer shows up and he says, oh yeah, he says, M, M are bounty M, M are bounty hunters. And I went, well, we're actually bail bonds. And we, you know, I, I, he says, yeah, but he says, it's the same thing. He says, you got one of them Arcapiuses. He says, Arcapius is a, war a bench warrant signed by a judge. And he says, it says right there, he says, you are hereby commanded to bring the body of, it don't say nothing about alive or dead. He says, these boys can bring them in dead if they have to. And I went, it's a driving on suspended license charge. We ain't killing nobody over that. I promise you, that's not going to happen. And he goes, yeah, but if you had to, you had to. And I said, okay. I, and at that point, I didn't even want him going to the house with us. I mean, he was, it was kind of scary. But they have that misconception. And it's brought on not by a lack of understanding of what we actually do. And even in the judicial system, even in the criminal justice system, I talked to an attorney the other day on Facebook, a super nice guy and a very competent attorney, but absolutely clueless as to the bail industry and thought he knew it. And that's the scary part. Too many people who think they know what they're talking about. We're facing the same thing in Nashville right now. A bunch of legislators who have no clue what the bail industry is, listening to a bunch of people from uh, pretrial release, and their idea is, well, if someone misses court, just text them and they'll come in. Well, I've spent 32 years traveling all over the United States. I've handcuffed people in 37 of, out of the 50 states. Personally walked up to a person and put handcuffs on them and brought them back to the state of Tennessee from 37 different states. They won't come just because you text them. Now, some people will. Some people, you can call them and tell them, how hey, you missed your court date. You got to turn yourself in. Had that happen this morning. Gentleman, I made his bond. He missed his court date. His attorney didn't get the case continued. He was in custody in another county on a violation of probation. When I started looking for him, I found him. He said, look, Mr. Stiles, he says, I've been trying to get this taken care of. He said, I don't know what to do. He wasn't hiding. He wasn't trying to avoid anything. He was right there on his job. Well, there's where you have to take into consideration the disruption you have on a person's life. Low-level misdemeanor, I told him, I says, come in Friday, we'll turn you in, we'll bond you back out, it'll get the warrant off of you, we'll get you a new court date. What was his alleged crime? Driving on suspended license. Is that a big one? It's a common one. Uh, and they're suspended for things like DUIs or whatever. Very, you know... Um, very seldom, no, I don't, again, you would be asking me the percentage. I don't know the percentage. More commonly, uh, driver's license are suspended for failure to pay fines and costs, mm, like for in, and inability to pay the uh, insurance, the SR-22 or 20, whatever that SR insurance is. Mm. You have to understand... Uh, a person goes to jail, even if they don't go 
to prison, and hardly anyone goes to prison, okay? Um, but even if they don't go to jail, the state levies against them enormous fines. If you and I get in an argument, okay, right now. Let's do it. And, and I call you a really vulgar name, and you slap the far out of me. And somebody sees you, and they call the cops, and I, and I go, look, I deserve that, okay? I shouldn't have said that. This is ridiculous. I don't want to press charges. And you go, well, I don't want to press charges. The cops go, look, y'all just behave yourself and quit doing that. They didn't see the misdemeanor occur. They don't have a, an affiant. They don't have a, a complainant. They're not going to take anybody to jail. You get in the same argument with your ex-boyfriend's mother at a restaurant because you dumped him and he went out and became a raging alcoholic over it and she slaps you or you slap her, one of you are going to jail. Now that's how far down it's got on domestic violences. It's no longer the husband and wife and, and the and the beaten down wife who's too afraid to prosecute. The overzealousness of the prosecution of crimes and this and every other state is ridiculous, and primarily because it's a revenue-generating system. Yeah. There are people in, this, in our society who need to be locked up. They're dangerous. Of course. They will hurt you. They will take your stuff. But those people, they don't generate any revenue. When they go to jail, it's a net loss because they're going to have appointed attorneys. They're not going to pay any fines and costs or jail fees. You can assess all you want, but if you give a guy... 40 years in prison, he could care less how much you rack up in fines and costs on him. He's not paying anything. He does have to pay a lot for Top Ramen at the commissary. Exactly. And toilet paper. But <laughs> if you get a guy who's, he and his wife get in an argument because she smoked the last joint they had, then he's going to do anger management. He's going to do drug rehab. He's going to do drug counseling. He's going to do probation or diversion. But he's going to pay fines and costs, and he's going to pay out the nose for him. He's going to hire a bondsman. He's going to hire an attorney. He's going to put some money in that system, and that's the system. That's where the money comes from to fund these systems. Interesting. What um, Can you tell any uh, stories of... Well, first of all, I, I want to go back to that first question. I oh, you want to know why I got in this business? Yeah, why did you decide? Um, a lack of ambition and no education. Okay, <laughs> got it. I can't, that's, that's the funniest line I've got. People ask me that so many times. I came up with a stock answer for it. <laughs> it when is somebody good. says, how did you get to be a bail bondsman? I tell them, a lack of ambition and no education. I joined the military right out of high school. I spent four years in the military. When I got out, I wanted to be a deputy sheriff. So I joined the local sheriff's department, and they put me to work in the jail, and I really didn't enjoy that. But I didn't really know much about law enforcement. So a friend of mine offered me, got me a job chasing bell jumpers. And the guy initially did not want to hire me. Uh, because he, back then, that job usually went to retired detectives, ex-officers, people who had arrest experience. I'd never arrested anybody. And, but you handled uh, weaponry and things like that, obviously. That's, 
You know, and that's another misconception about this business. That is the least important thing in this business. Okay. Um, but but to finish my story. Yeah. So I quit the sheriff's department to go chase bell jumpers. The first weekend, I put thirteen people in jail because they were. It was like shooting fish in a barrel. The guy they had had working before them hadn't picked anyone up in probably six to eight months, and so I was just calling people up and going. Can I speak to so-and-so? They say, well, you need to come in and turn yourself in. I'm not coming in. Okay. <laughs> and I did. I put 13, from Friday night to Monday morning when the guy walked in, I put 13 closed files on his desk. So you had a knack for it. It was, That was shooting fish in a barrel. But I did develop a knack later. Um, in the military, you know, I was taught certain... Uh, schools where you learn strategy, where you learn to uh, look at situations and, and come out up with a solution for them. And I was able to apply that to this. It was, uh, now this was back before the internet. So this was back whenever about the only thing you had was reverse city directories and things like that. But we, we take applications on people whenever they go to jail. And it has inform, you know, information on like their date of birth, their social security number, their parents' names and phone numbers, just background information. And a lot of times you can utilize that and, and just come up with creative ways to find people. Um, after a while, uh, uh, you know, you develop contacts in local law enforcement agencies. Uh, you learn how to. Uh, look up public information, but at, like I said, at that time we had to go to the source. If I wanted something, I drove all the way to Orlando, Florida one time to get a booking sheet because I didn't know anyone in Orlando who would go over there and pay the $5 and they wouldn't give me the information over the phone. Mm -hmm. And I needed that information off that booking sheet to, capture, to catch this person. So I literally drove to Orlando, Florida, Orange County, paid them $5, got the booking sheet, within two hours had the individual in the back of the car. Um, Are they surprised when you nab them? Sometimes. Sometimes you, you get a an entire gamut of emotion because uh, some people are relieved. Uh, some people are angry. Some people want to fight. Uh, some people still want to run. Uh, the majority of time, if you've done it correctly, the inevitability of them going to jail is so greatly impressed on their mind that the majority of them just submit. Uh, now that doesn't, uh, see it's, it's much different than a police officer. I tell people that all the time. A police officer arrests the person that he encounters for a crime that he thinks they committed. I'm not doing that. I'm looking for one person. Uh, now, occasionally you'll accidentally run across of them, and that's usually when it's the most dangerous. But if you've done it correctly, okay, you've isolated the individual, you've put them at a disadvantage, and then you move in quickly, and you subdue them, and you restrain them, and you transport them. Uh, you don't spend a lot of time, you know, trying to lead them to Jesus or teach them a better way or yell at their family and friends. I once arrested a kitchen, uh, a cook out of the kitchen at a local restaurant. No one in the restaurant knew he was gone. 
I walked right past the kitchen doors. He was on the back prep area. I just took him by the arm right out the back door. We were literally gone 10 minutes. And he said, uh, asked if he could call in his, uh, uh, call back to his boss. And we had him far enough away that I felt comfortable doing that. So we let him call his boss. And she had already called the police because she thought, all, she was told that some guy had walked through the kitchen and took him. And in those instances, because it was a restaurant slash bar, I wanted anything that happened to happen outside, away from friends, coworkers, knives, possible weapons. Yeah. And if you and so it's drunk people. It becomes very important that you do it quickly and efficiently, and then you leave the area. So. Uh, I don't know if that helps you. So did you get a rush from it? And when you so after that weekend of great catching of folks, did you think this is it? This is what I want to do. I mean, there, there must have been an exhilaration to it. Yes, that's thirty-three years ago. Um, catching someone that no one else has been able to catch—that's pretty much a rush. Um, yeah, I, I snatched a guy who was in the witness protection program, allegedly, because no one would ever admit it, but he was in the witness protection program. And his girlfriend in Texas had snitched him out. We Snitching someone out is, that's pretty common street slang, but it had called in and told on him. That, so, wait, told that he was in... Told who he was and told he had ID and that he was working with a federal agency and was in their uh, protection. protection. Wow. So she's right. I don't out. know if witness protection would be the right yeah. word for it, but he was in there. He was being hit out by the, them because he was helping them on federal charges and he was wanted on state charges. Got it. And so they were keeping him on the down low. And so she, I, okay, got and, it. And, he, and so she got mad at him and told him. So I snatched him. And took him to the county jail. How'd you do that in front of the FBI? I don't think well, they weren't to... there. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I did it exactly the same way I always do it. Okay. I tracked him down. I isolated him. I waited till he was alone, and then I took him. And um, he claimed to be, of course, the person. I mean, he even had ID of the person that he was pretending to be. He was pretending to be, but I had a booking photo of him, so I knew it was him. I, it was him. So he told me he had to make a phone call. Well, I knew he was going to call the feds, or I thought he might. So I just, we didn't have a phone with us at the time. This was the pre-cell phone days. And uh, I drove him to the county jail and had them ID him before they allowed him to make a phone call, fingerprint him and ID him. And... According to them, now I wasn't there at the jail, okay, so this is what the jail calls back. An hour later, two U.S. Marshals showed up and he was gone. Mm -hmm. But I had arrested him and he was off the bond. And so you got your, yeah. So that's that's a good one. I yeah. mean, I mean, when you, um, when you have one, and I tried to get the, you know, in all fairness, I tried to get the cooperation of the federal agents that were involved to get them to tell the judge that he was cooperating on them. And the judge would have let us off the state charges. And sometimes when you're dealing with feds uh, or law enforcement in general, sometimes you will find one that's very cooperative, has a lot of respect for what you do, 
and then a lot of times, you know, you you won't. And so, does here's an interesting thing: do the does the federal government ever step in and ask bail bondsmen or people who are used to catching folks that jump? And say, hey, we're trying to find this person, and we just can't. And then they enlist you, or does that not happen very often? And if it doesn't happen, we need to write that screenplay because I bet it'd be a really good movie. <laughs> well, I think Robert De Niro's already made. That I think movie. Liam Neeson made it too, and they all made. Um, <laughs> I can tell you that off the top of my head, I can think of maybe half a dozen times that I've been after somebody and the feds have been after him, and I've beat him twice. Look at that. Uh, and you know, you but, know when they're also after You can't, him. you can't, you can't imagine just how massive a force a federal agency can put for a person if it becomes important to them. I mean, they can get bin Laden in Pakistan. Trust me, they can get anybody they want. Uh, there are people who manage to run. Most recently, there was a case, and made uh, they made a movie about it. Um, and I think it was Irish mafia. Uh, his name was Whitey Bulger. Mm, yeah, from they Boston. Just, yeah, they just executed him in jail. Oh, his the cohorts executed him, not the yeah, not the and FBI. he was on the run for years, mm -hmm. but. I mean, he also, while he was doing all this stuff, had an FBI agent who was working for him. He had contacts. Um, now, I certainly don't know anything about Whitey Bulger. I don't know if he... I know that when they did that final transfer, the prison that they transferred into, he was dead within... I mean, it was... A, was it like a but day or something? To, to make... There are... There are times when I have provided information to law enforcement that they use to make an arrest but I don't know of any private individual who can day in and day out compete especially with a federal agency and most often not even with local agencies it's me and maybe two of my guys I may be able to call two or three more bondsmen if it's a really bad hit and I think there's going to be trouble any police department can amass a, a 10 officers with the punch of a button. Do they come to your aid in that case? Or do you still, are you still flying? Police officers? Yeah. It, it depends on the agency. There is actually a state statute that says we're entitled to the assistance of the sheriff of that county in making a bail arrest. It's a 40-11-TCA code, Tennessee Code Annotated 40-11-134, I believe. But anyway, it says that the sheriff of that county is supposed to help us. And some counties, they're amazing. I mean, they will, they will bring out their... Knox County is one of the best counties. Uh, there's a young man that works in their uh, repeat offenders unit that is... Um, I don't want to mention his name, but he, he's, he has probably one of the best arrest teams. And he, is, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't like to be trifled with, and he doesn't have time to play games. But if you have good information and he can act on it, he, he's a he's a, a great guy to work with. Shelby County, excellent uh, fugitive squad. You can pretty much provide them the information, and they will absolutely go out and nail them for you. Um, there are counties where they'll just laugh at you. They won't. Even, I mean, 
you'll call in and and their favorite thing to say is well call us back if there's trouble and i'm like well if there's trouble i'm not going to stop in the middle of it to call 911 but to answer your question it varies from county to county it really does and a lot of it reflects the attitude of the sheriff or the chief of police are you protected under law to for example if i am a gun owner and I'm legally able to to have a gun in Tennessee and go shoot it. Let's say I have a, a concealed weapons permit, whatever. And then I decide to move to another state. That's going to have a whole different kind of system and laws in place as to that I have to abide by generally within a certain time frame, but still abide by. So as you're moving from state to state, county to county, and all that, are you? Do you have a cloud of protection around you? Because I, I'm assuming you have weapons and you just are in case. absolutely responsible for obeying and adhering to the laws of any jurisdiction into which you go. So you really have to know. You do not. You do not get a pass. Yeah, you really have to know what you're going into state, it, state by state. Well, again. I've done this so long that I don't really travel as much as I used to because I don't have to. I've built connections all over the state. Most states I wouldn't even consider going to. I would simply call Not up. like when you were younger? Oh, when I was younger, I well, when I was younger, there, was, there were a lot fewer laws. There was only about two or three states that you had to worry about. The rest of the time, you just went in and drug them out. But... Interesting. Years ago, uh, there was an incident happened in Arizona where uh, five guys who from California who were home invaders were going to rob the, who they thought was a this guy who they thought was a drug dealer. One of these guys had had at one time done some bail enforcement work, and they did it under the guise of being bail enforcement agents. And they broke into this home that they thought. The guy was a drug dealer, and of course, as the story goes, he had moved out, and another family had moved in, and a shootout ensued. The guy in there, he wasn't wanted for anything. He, he sees five guys breaking in his house. He's shooting. Well, they kill him and his girlfriend and wound, I think, her mother. And the newspapers splashed it all over the... I mean, it was all over the newspapers, all over the news. Bounty hunters mistakenly kill innocent men, blah, blah, blah. And that's, re that's another reason I don't like the word bounty hunters. Every time a bail bondsman makes a mistake or commits an offense, sometimes it's not a mistake. Sometimes we, we have people in this industry who do bad things. But when they do, the very first thing you're going to hear is bounty hunter did a horrible thing. And... At, at some point, the association with the term becomes so great that it besmirches the image of the individual even before he's ever done anything. But there was a huge uproar about this, so much so that a senator from Arkansas by the name of Asa Hutchins, uh, who uh, was had impaneled a, a committee and he was going to we were going to do away with bail bondsmen and bounty hunters. There were going to be no more. And the thing that saved us was that he got appointed to Bill Clinton's cabinet. 
and it kind of just fizzled after that. But since that time, there have been instances that happen. People get shot, we shoot somebody, somebody shoots one of us, the wrong house gets broken into, the wrong person gets arrested, and um, it starts all over again. So it's, and currently now we're facing a huge um, challenge from uh, pre-trial release. So uh, the, uh, the idea of getting rid of the bail bondsman has been around for at least 20 years. But they want to just keep people in jail? No, they want to go to an administrative form of release, much like uh, Kentucky has or Illinois has, or um, now New Jersey has implemented it, Delaware has implemented it. California tried to implement it, and they were they managed to um, uh, create a or get enough signatures to to put it on the uh, ballot as a referendum. So we're going to see how that comes out. But yes, every year it's it's. Well, then what they, would they do if... They would release them and they would promise to go to court. And then what happens? Nothing. I mean, that's... The, the That seems like a recipe for disaster, really. I just read an article where the, uh, the uh, failure to appear rate in New Mexico, who was the most recent people to go to predominantly administrative release, the failure to appear rate has risen uh, 300%. Uh, wow. Yeah. And ultimately, that will be the breakdown of the criminal justice system because what people don't understand is there are, there are two main classes of crimes, misdemeanors and felonies. A misdemeanor is a crime that is punishable by imprisonment no greater than 11 months and 29 days. A felony is a crime that is punishable by imprisonment up to or a year, one year and above. Mm -hmm. And then they have capital offenses, which are also a, um, a uh, subset of the felonies. And of course, those are punishable by death or uh, life imprisonment. But anyway, when the sta every state in the United States is sovereign unto itself within its own criminal, state criminal justice system, the federal system, which is a totally separate court system, encompasses the entire 50 states and its territories. So a person charged with a federal crime in California can be tried for that crime in Tennessee. But a person charged with a crime in Tennessee has to be tried in Tennessee unless some you know, unusual circumstances occur. So if the person who's charged with a misdemeanor, say a DUI second, he's not on bond, he's administrative released, and he drives to Middlesboro, Kentucky, and sets up camp. The state of Tennessee won't extradite him, even though he's only 60 miles away because he's in a sovereign state. And most DA, district attorneys, will not extradite on misdemeanor charges. Mm. So, uh, all the, now bail bondsmen do not require extradition. And so in the state of Kentucky, where they don't have bail bondsmen, they're as safe from us as they are from uh, law enforcement because the state of Kentucky does not recognize our right to go in there. Oh, interesting. It seems like a real bad idea to not let y'all do your jobs. <laughs> if they wanted a more responsible criminal justice system, they would in fact make, it, make our authority more comprehensive. Hmm. A person who is admitted to bail is still within the custody of the jailer of his choice. 
And so that person is never out of custody until his case is adjudicated. Interesting. So no. even if they're home making their scrambled eggs, they're still technically in jail. They are absolutely in custody. Yeah, or in custody. Jail is a physical place. Right. I'm, I'm sorry, I misspoke. Okay. Yeah, yeah, in custody. Right. Okay, so... And if they commit anything else while they're out, they're really, I assume, while they're waiting for their trial, if they do more bad things, more illegal things... Yes. Then then it's the deck is stacked for them to get right back. Right? Yes, uh, it, it's actually written in the state code that... Uh, you may you can have your present bond revoked if you commit an offense while you're out on bond. That makes sense. Um, but then, do you lose your money if no. somebody? Okay. The only time the money is lost, or and and it's not lost, it's paid, is if there is if the person doesn't appear for the court. And you're not able to recover them within a specified amount of time. In the state of Tennessee, it's 180 days, but different states have different amounts of time. So the state of Tennessee says, Mr. Bondsman, you posted this guy's bond. You have 180 days because he didn't show up. I either want $10,000 or I want his body in the county jail. And that's exactly how they put it to you, too. And sometimes they'll give you an extension of time if you go in and plea port. Sometimes they won't. And so it becomes a very serious matter. But the primary focus of the ethical bondsman is not the fact that he has to pay the $10,000. It's the fact that he stood good for a bond that failed to appear. And that's the thing that never gets brought out. And even among bail bondsmen, we don't stress that enough. The money that is paid is the penalty for failing to live up to the contract. The duty you owe to the court is to live up to the contract. It may not seem like much of a difference, but there's a huge ethical difference in there. What sense? happens if somebody dies? Then it all, it's all washed, it's a, right? They, it's called abatement. Mm. Uh, A-B-A-T-E-M-E-N-T. Mm -hmm. And it means that there's nothing more you can do to a dead man. So his case is done with. Right. What is... Uh, can you tell a story of maybe when you were something really crazy? <laughs> okay, I can tell war stories all day I long. I would love you to hear some war stories. You don't have enough. No, give me a couple. <laughs> I want to hear some. Um, and you can say whatever you want on this show. I have an explicit. I have to be real careful because I'll... You don't have to use their names, but you can say anything you want to. Well, I... They've heard it all this is a different. This is a different society, though, because some of my, especially in the 80s, some of them were wide open. I mean, we we said bad words, and we... You can do we, whatever you want. No, no, yeah. I mean, we called oh. people bad names. And oh. if, you think, if you think some guy wearing a black face to a Halloween party 30 year, years ago makes you resign from being the governor, and there's no way I'm confessing my souls. Um, I once lived on the streets of New Orleans in the French Quarter to catch this guy. And I, I had to get into this area where this phone booth was. We had tracked down calls that were being made to his aunt, who was his indemnitor, to this phone booth. And there was no way to set up surveillance on this phone booth except to get down there on it. Well, obviously, you know, you, if you've, ever, you've been to New Orleans, mm. you can't park down there or anything like that. And you can't be the same tourist standing in the same place. So 
the most unnoticed human being in uh, New Orleans is the homeless guy. So I pretended to be a homeless guy for about three days. And the funny thing was that I went down there on like a Thursday. And I got with these, this, this guy was, um, the, at that, up until that time, he was the biggest bond jumper I'd ever went after. He was $165,000. Oh, this is alleged crime. Um, mostly, <laughs> mostly drugs and a few assault charges and mm -hmm. weapons charges. Okay. But, um, but he was also, I had gotten word that he was suspected of a homicide in a county east of here. They just could not connect him to it. They could connect him to the girl, but they couldn't connect him to her. To the crime. Her winding up dead. Allegedly. No, <laughs> no she, was, she was actually. She was really dead. dead. <laughs> But um, I knew that was coming. <laughs> so I um, so I, I went down there. Well, I checked in with the New Orleans Police Department, and I met this guy who was head of their fugitive squad because this guy was on the computer. He was a really bad guy. People were looking for him. Uh, and uh, the gentleman introduced me to his squad. But he says, look, he says, we're off tomorrow. He says, we won't be back till Monday. He says, but Monday, he says, we'll hit the streets looking for this guy. Well, now I'm three days into New Orleans, and I got to, you know, he says, I'll need a picture of him, any posters. This is the police you, officer? The, the detective over yeah. the fugitive squad. Sure. He says, we'll, we'll plaster that area. And so it scared me because I thought, well, this guy, he's not from here. He doesn't, I mean, he's just hiding here. The minute he sees his picture on a wanted poster, he's going to jet. So now I've got three days to catch this guy. Because I thought we would just go out that night and, you know, try to find him. And um, I caught him that Sunday afternoon. He walked up to the phone booth to make a phone call to his aunt. And I just walked up behind him and slammed him into the phone booth. And, um, and I was a little scared that day. We, I've got a friend of mine in Maryland, and I, I, I'm sure he didn't originate this phrase, but we've come to refer to it as a come-to-Jesus moment. You know what a come-to-Jesus moment is? Yeah, absolutely. Is? That's when you, all the, all the things that you believe, uh, all the stories that you've told, none of it means anything. It's real. Are you going to do it? And I was a little bit nervous about this guy. I mean, he, he was a bad guy. He was, I mean, he was probably one of the scariest people I'd ever gone after. And to, and to go after him by myself. But, I mean, I didn't give him a chance. I body slammed him and put the cuffs on him. You have to understand, at that time, I was 24 years old. I, I mean, I know looking at me now, I'm not very intimidating looking. But, but when I was 24, I was a lot tougher guy. But anyway, uh, but more recently, this was on my 50th birthday, I had a, uh, a fellow from Puerto Rico jump on me. So I went to Puerto Rico, took my wife and daughter and let them uh, uh, stay in San Juan. And then we, I hired a bilingual private detective who had two people from the, whatever the Puerto Rican police are called, and they went with me to this little town up in the mountain where he was from. We talked to his mother, and that's a whole third world area up there. But anyway, I, I found out that he was in Miami. And 
there were at least two agencies here in Tennessee looking for him. And so he really was a bad guy, and I was going to need help with him. My, I had my wife and daughter at a hotel, and my idea was I was going to get with the local police, let them take credit for the bust, put him in jail, and extradite him back because I was responsible for paying the extradition costs of his bail bonds. But and we're on this second floor uh, apartment complex. So I call in, check in with the police department. They meet me uh, a couple blocks down because I've located his vehicle. I've identified him in the uh, building. I know he's there. Well, they look him up on NCIC and find out what he's charged with, and they go, we're going to need some help. So they call in other officers. So we're staging now. And, I mean, they break out their Kevlar helmets and they're popping their trunks, getting their AR-15s out. What was he accused of? Uh, he had two counts of armed robbery and aggravated assault, but he, he was a bad guy. So probably he had a weapon and... Well, yes, they uh, they would they were under that impression. I had on a pair of khakis and a polo shirt, and I had a I had a thirty eight under my shirt. <laughs> I was I was definitely underdressed for this for this assault. But we ended up with about six officers. I had one older gentleman, who, uh, one of the older officers, and like four or five of these young. Right out of right out of the movies. I mean, they were they were. They good-looking guys, but they're, you know, well-fit. And I was like, guys, we should send somebody to the back with that other officer. I said, because he'll jump off that balcony. And they're like, that's pretty high up. I don't think he can make that jump. And I said, well, how about somebody just go back? So none of them wanted to go to the back. They wanted to go to the front. They were all... Revved up, yeah. <laughs> and I said, well, how about I go to the back then? I'll go stand back there. And they, and they were like, no, you're the one that's got the arrest authority if you don't go we can't go so i had to be on the front door and i just knew it was a bad idea but that that old guy in the back he's he's like i'll take care of it he won't get away from me and so as we start up i see this officer on the back lean up against the tv and light up a cigarette and i'm like hell this isn't going well but as soon as i knocked on the door i heard him running i heard him running in the you know i'm like uh, Abra uh, uh, and he's like out and off that balcony went and I heard the guy uh, on the radio go he said I think a couple words yeah and then he went <laughs> he jumped off the balcony <laughs> and I and he got away and it, and, and it was so unfortunate for me because uh, they called up, they put a helicopter up in the air almost immediately uh, in the neighborhood and cops came from all over different agencies. There must have been 30 officers out there and uh, a huge storm blew up. I mean, huge, out of nowhere. It grounded the chopper. They had to send the helicopter back. And then, of course, I mean, they, sorry, and off they went. Well, comes out, he had been under surveillance by feds because he was involved in some, um, he's actually doing federal time right now. When he gets done with his federal time, he has to come to the state time. But um, the feds had been um, uh, watching him because he was involved in a string of jewelry store, jewelry store robberies that were occurring down in Miami. And they were taking the jewelry back to Puerto Rico 
and fencing it. And uh, so the feds uh, called my office. I mean, I hadn't even made it back to the hotel yet. They called my office, and of course it transferred down to my phone. And uh, they said, hey, if you'll stay off of him, he says, we'll catch him. He says, we're trying to get the guy above him. And uh, they said, we'll, we'll tag him for you. And they had him in about, uh, they let him run wild for about a week, and then they got him. Wow. So, so crazy. Have you yourself uh, feared for your life at times, I'm sure? Yeah, sure. I mean, because from the sound of it, they're going in with Kevlar and you're going in in a polo shirt. <laughs> I mean. You know, and, and that's not that's not smart on my part. It's not, look, uh, um, old habits are, are, are sometimes, even if they're bad habits, are sometimes hard to break. And um, I, I'm probably going to regret that decision one day. Uh, if I were smarter, I would probably, I would probably suit up too. But um, most of the time, like, like I said, police officers deal with the situations that they encounter as they encounter them. I tend to deal with the situation that's going down the way I want it to go down. If they had listened to me, if they had put two more officers on the back, he would have never jumped off that balcony. We would have went in and took him. Uh, there was at least his sister, his wife, two of his kids, and his nephew in that apartment with him, along with his sister and her boyfriend. So it would not have turned into a gunfight. There was not going to be a gunfight in there with all those kids and stuff like that. I'm, I'm positive of that. Um, Matter of fact, his first idea was to. I mean, he didn't. He didn't hesitate. I, I knocked on the door. He ran out the back. So, uh, should I should I wear uh, body armor? Absolutely. If if you're out there arresting people nowadays, uh, it's it's probably uh, not a good idea not to. But I don't. So there you go. Do you ever? happen to be in the post office and you look and you see the you know top 10 most wanted that the FBI puts out some of these people have been looked for forever and do you ever think I could go find that person I mean does it ever spark no. your desire to now you're like just whatever no, it is because it takes a lot of money to conduct conduct a fugitive investigation and there you know if they give me a $5,000 reward and I spend $10,000 looking for the person, then I've not made any money and that's not my job. Not only that, those, pay, those reward posters do not say to bring that person in. If you read it, it says reward for information leading to the capture. They don't want, yeah, they don't want so civilians getting hurt that, and things, I'm That sure. business, that, that again, is an, I mean, are there people out there who are trying to do that? I have no idea, but that's not what I do. Right. When I go after a person, it's somebody that has been arrested, made bond, and failed to appear in court. I have the authority of the bail bondsman to make, if it's not one of my own skips, I have the authority of that bail bondsman to arrest that individual. You can't, even if I know a person's uh, jump bail, for instance, there are several companies. Let's say I saw somebody walking across the parking lot and I know they've jumped bond on another company. Now, I can, make a, I can attempt to make a citizen's arrest, but I can only do so under the authority that governs the citizen's arrest. 
But I can't, even as a bail bondsman, go out and arrest that individual because I don't have an, a copy of the bond and I don't have the authority or the endorsement of the original bail. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's not one of those where you can just go out and arrest whoever you want to. And um, people who are... That, that's, that's another tool that uh, the marshals and the FBI and people who are looking for most wanted, that's another tool in their belt. That's, I mean, it's something they do. If they're actively working that case. I don't know why the FBI doesn't use Twitter because it seems to me that whenever a video is uh, posted of someone using, you know, racist remarks at someone, they say, find out who this person is. And within 48 hours, they've lost their job. They've, you know, been brought up on assault charges and all that stuff by regular citizens just using Twitter and doing their own stuff. I'm shocked that more fugitives haven't been caught via social media. They get caught every day. Um, Matter of fact, that's the guy in Miami. That's how we got onto him. Social media. Once I broke his Facebook page, Mm. then I was able to mine his page um, and pull up his sister, his mother, his ex-wife, his girlfriend. Uh, I mean, if somebody's not getting caught, it's because they're not on the hit parade yet. Trust me, the FBI, I mean, I would never lead anyone to believe that I can do what the FBI can do. Right, they have, sure. Uh, sure. If I want something done in Tulsa, Oklahoma, I have to hope that I've got a friend in Tulsa, Oklahoma who can do it for me, or I have to go to Tulsa, Oklahoma to do it. Sure. If the FBI wants a house surveilled in Tulsa, Oklahoma, they call the Tulsa, Oklahoma field office and go send two agents out there. And when they get tired, send two more. I had a profiler on the show um, last year. It's fascinating. Seriously, the calmest human being I've ever met in my life. I've never met anyone that just straight line. Yeah. It's crazy. (laughs) Well, I imagine you have to be as a profiler to stay so calm. But um, that's a whole nother horse, of course. Not necessarily, because you're much more effective if you profile the skip. Every skip is different, okay? The guy who's just sitting at home because he didn't go to court that day, you just go to his house and pick him up, he goes to jail, and either bonds out with you or bonds out with someone else or stays there to his court date or whatever. He stayed home because he was binge-watching on Netflix or something. (laughs) Or he, you know, the DA told him if you don't have this... $3,000 $3,000 paid the next time you come to court, I'm going to lock you up. Well, he knows he doesn't have $3,000. He's not going to run or fight or give you any problem whatsoever. He just, so if I stay out for two weeks, that's two weeks I don't have to go to jail. So that's the attitude of a lot of them. I, you know, um, you can't get complacent in that way of thinking, though, because there are people who ran and they meant to run and they're not going to jail. I had a gentleman that I uh, called his co-signer and said, you know, he said he wasn't going back to jail. And, of course, you hate to hear that because, you know, you try to diffuse that situation up front and and you go, look, you know, that's a horrible thing to say. Okay, don't put me in that position right out of the gate. Um, So 
a lot of times when you're dealing with these individuals who are actually running, you do profile them. Now, we don't, we don't have the same um, education, I guess, that you would see on uh, criminal minds. But profiling is nothing more than predicting a person's behavior based on what you know about them. So if a person, uh, if a gay person happens to like certain clubs, then that's a part of profiling. Uh, if a person happens to, bl- if he happens to be an avid golfer, he's going to golf even when he's on the run. He's going to go to the driving ranges. Um, if a person happens to be an uh, avid pool player, I, a friend of mine said, no matter what you do, don't give away any trade secrets and, and oh on the show yeah yeah I but, can understand that. but I'm going to tell you this okay. okay there are basic needs that a human being has no matter where they are and they will most often find those basic needs at the closest gas station to their house whether it's gasoline snacks cigarettes beer lottery tickets whatever it is and they usually won't go much further than the closest gas station to their house if you find that area and you start hitting those convenient marks and showing those pictures ultimately if you think about it wherever you live there is a state there is a place that you go and that's where you buy your cappuccino that's where you buy your gas that's where creatures you, of habit yeah that's yeah. where you buy your drinks sure now you may shop you may grocery shop at the fresh market or or wherever but when all you want is a bag of chips or something like that there's a place right next to where you live now they may not know your name you may not know their name but they know who you are and they know something about you they know what kind of car you drive they know what direction you come in they know about what day you come in is that harder nowadays with a more self-absorbed society? You know, everyone's looking at their phone. People don't really register each other's faces. We're just sort of getting by in humanity right People now. People in those gas stations register everybody's face. They do. Yeah. Absolutely. I guess they have to, to stay safe and things. They they can tell you. Um, and I'm, I'm, as, I'm as guilty as anyone else. That gas station right there beside my office, I'm in there probably three times a day. I have a coffee cup from them sitting on my desk. Um, I have literally seen them watch people come in from the parking lot and have the stuff that they're going to get out there on the counter waiting for them because they know what they're going to get because they come in that often. Mm -hmm. Or most pumps are now pay before you pump. Mm -hmm. There are people who buy gas from that particular gas station so often that they are not they don't have to follow that rule. If they pull up to the gas pump, they'll turn the gas pumps on for them and then they'll come in and pump pay whenever they want. That's the type of familiarity you're you're looking for. And people who are on the run will absolutely still do that. I don't care. They they will absolutely I've caught more people from gas stations, local restaurants, uh, things at pawn shops, things of that nature than anywhere else. Interesting. The thing that you have to remember about the bail bond business is that the people who are doing it are just people, uh, uh, devoid of 
the flash of television or the romanticism of what you may have heard. It's just another part of the criminal justice system. It's a very important part because we're the ones who are um, we're the neutral guys. Our only concern is that the ind- that the defendant show up for court. We uh, we don't prosecute. We don't defend. We people will tell me all the time they want to tell me about their case or their charges or stuff like that, and the or people will ask me all the time how can you make that person's bond for and they did such and such allegedly and i tell them if i start convicting people before they're given an opportunity to defend themselves then we might as well just start taking them out behind the courthouse and shooting them in the head when it gets to the point that a person isn't innocent until proven guilty then we're no longer a justice system we're just a system of Who's the most powerful person at that time? And so it's a very important part. And I realize that that flies in the face of of common sense sometimes. You saw them do it. I mean, they did it. But And I don't know how much time you had, but I want to tell you... No, I have plenty of time. One one quick story. Uh, And I use this to illustrate it a lot. When I start to think that, you know, maybe I should let everybody go to jail. I think of this story right here. A gentleman in a town, one of the um, uh, resort towns near here, I get a call one day, and he says, hey, he says, I'm in jail. He says, I've got a $25,000 bond. I'm wanted for armed robbery. He said, there's no way that I would do something like that. I own five restaurants in Orlando, my wife and I are up here for to buy some property. He said, she is sitting uh, in a campground in a $300,000 motorhome. He said, here's her number. Whatever it takes, she'll get me out. Well, I called that number. She says, that's not my husband. He says, we own five nightclubs. You know, they went from being restaurants to nightclubs. We own five nightclubs in Orlando. She says, my husband ain't got to rob anybody. Said, uh, I don't know what he's accused of taking. She says, but I know for a fact that that Rolex he's wearing is worth $25,000. And uh, I just, I didn't know what to do. So I called a friend of mine in Orlando. And I said, uh, I asked him if he knew this name. He says, yeah, I know them. And I know his wife and called her by name. He says, they own five strip joints down here. And I went, Oh, he said, yeah, he said, I make their girls' bonds all the time. He says, uh, what's going on? I, I said, well, they've got him up here for armed robbery. He said, well, that's crazy. He, said, he didn't rob nobody. I said, he says, that, there's got to be something wrong, Joe. He said, if you don't want to make the bond, he says, uh, I'll send you a, what they call a hold harmless. I'll post the bond down here and turn him loose. He said, I'll send you your money. Not a problem. And uh, I went, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to look into this. So I went up to the jail and I interviewed the gentleman and he seemed as legit, I mean, he did as legit as could be. And so I got him out. His wife said, look, I'm up here at this campground with our two children. She said, I can't come bring them down there to the jail. Bring him up here. I'll give you a tip plus the bond. Plus the lap dance. Huh? <laughs> Nothing. Well, she owned the place. She was owning it. 
No, they were very nice 40s. I mean, they were an attractive couple, but they were, you know, at the time now, I was probably 26, 27 years sure. old. So, so somebody 40 years old, I don't care how good looking she was, she would have still been a 40-year-old. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I get up there. She gives me the $2,500 for the bond fee and gives me a $500 tip. Biggest tip I ever got in my life. And uh, she, they hire an attorney. They pay the attorney $15,000 to represent him. Uh, two days before trial, attorney calls me and he says, Joe, your guy won't be showing up. And I went, oh, yeah, he will. <laughs> As I signed a $25,000 bond for him, he'll show up. I said, oh, I'll go to Orlando and drag him back up here. He goes, ah, he killed himself. I said, he killed himself? I said, yeah, he left his wife a, a note said he did it, he was sorry. They had come up here, he had gotten into an auto accident and he had gotten hooked on painkillers. And he was ashamed to tell his wife that. And he had it fixed up down there in Florida where he could get them with no problem. When they came up here, he only brought a two week supply with them. Well, they didn't really have to get back. They had the kind of money where they could stay up here. So they'd been up here about a month. So he'd been out without them for about two weeks. And he was driving down the road and he saw this sign and it says pharmacy, it said drugs. Some old drug stores have drugs. And he pulled in and he walked in and he asked, he, you know, had a gun in his waistband and demanded that the pharmacist give him the drug. That he, he asked for the drug by name. And the pharmacist even said later, he said it was the weirdest thing. He said, because he, he didn't look like somebody who would do something like that. And I'm, and he said, I said, are you serious? And he said, it was like the, I'd slapped the guy or something. It was like he woke up and he ran out of the store. And I noticed the van he was in. And I saw it pull off and I called the law and they met, you know, they caught him down at this gas station about a mile away getting gas. Why would you stop for gas? <laughs> crazy anyway because because he had not meant to do that it was an impulse thing right. it was an overwhelming sure addiction right? moment sure and but he knew he had done it and he could not go away they had him dead to rights they had him on film he did it and rather than face that and rather than tell his wife that he was addicted to painkillers he went out on the beach and killed himself that's so sad <clears throat> there was a man who had nothing to lose and there's no way he could have possibly been guilty. But he absolutely did what they accused him of doing. Had another instance, a friend of mine called me and said, can you bond out my brother? Uh, I, she says, I can't believe what they're charged with. And I've known this lady since I was a teenager. And, uh, and she was a pretty accomplished person and her brother was a very accomplished person. She tells me, she says, it's a $75,000 bond. I said, what? what? What is it they say he did? Is aggravated statutory rape by an authority figure. Hmm. Allegedly, he had raped his 11-year-old stepdaughter. So she goes, I don't know how. She says, I'm telling you, my brother did not rape that child. And you go down there, and they've got him charged with it. They've got statements from the the 11-year-old. They've got statements from his her mother. 
she has given descriptions of him uh, where I think it was either a mole or a birthmark or a scar or something was. And, I mean, he's dead. They got him. He's gone. And uh, he comes out and he said, I didn't do this. He said, I would never even think of doing this. He says, I, 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 don't, I don't even understand what's going on. So come to find out, he was a fairly wealthy person and had married this woman, but not adopted her child. And she had been unfaithful to him and he was getting ready to divorce her. But most of his, almost all of his assets were prior to their being married, so those were not community property. So her plan was to have him convicted of the, of Statutory rape. Uh, but, well, it's it's not. It's aggravated rape by authority figures. It, uh, That's a pit, yeah. And um, <clears throat> sent off to prison. And then while she was in prison, he was in prison, she was going to liquidate all his assets as his wife and then divorce him. So his defense lawyer st you know, started pushing for a rape kit, psyche valves, you know, and up until that time, they had been treating this 11-year-old with kid gloves. But now they started to bear down on her. And she finally cracked and said her mother had coached her on what to say and had even told him, I can't remember if it was a birthmark or a scar, but an identifying feature on him that you would only have seen it if he were naked. And he was completely innocent. Yeah. Another man. That's actually that uh, that happened to my friends. Uh, my friend's dad. The family was all estranged from each other, and the daughter was coached by the ex-wife um, before the, the end of the marriage by the soon-to-be ex-wife to say that he had molested her. So in a in a scam to try and get the money. Yeah. And it got it got found out all that stuff, but it completely, of course, destroyed the family, and it was like this whole big thing. But it certainly. Or not to you know discredit the fact that that really does happen, but of course that is to your point, you are innocent until proven guilty. And some allegations are so offensive in nature that the mere allegation—I mean, we almost had a Supreme Court justice derailed on an allegation that was made without any corroborating facts from whatever it was 30, 40 years ago. You're talking about Kavanaugh. Yes. And whether you believe that woman or don't believe that woman, whatever the case may be. We live in a society that requires you, that you are innocent until proven guilty. Because if we... If Although, we, if we're going to get deep into that, some people are considered more innocent than others, unfortunately. That's well, our society. Well, now, innocence, you're right, because innocence, there is a degree of innocence in the criminal justice system. And it also and that is socioeconomic. Another, it's, I mean, there's all sorts of stuff that gets tied into that. It's, it but there's another deeper. reason. That's the other reason for bail. An accused person is legally innocent until proven guilty. But you're right. In society, if the mere accusation raises the level of expectation of guilt. Yes, in this day and age, most especially. So, I mean... That would be the thing that I would say, that as bail bondsmen, we are truly the only people in the courtroom who are not advocates 
All that we're there for is to ensure that the individual has his day in court, the victim has their day in court, everyone does what they're supposed to do. We're not the judge, we're not the prosecutor, we're not the defense. And sometimes it's that detachment that allows us to see cases more clearly. Yes, and but, it is interesting, and I think it is something important to, to note that for anyone listening, look for those kinds of referendums. Look for, I mean, that's it's important to vote, period, end of story. But there are, there are some things that are maybe a little more important than other things. So... Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for your time. How can people find you if they need to get out of jail? <laughs> uh, we service uh, 22 counties uh, in East Tennessee. However, we are able through our insurance contacts to post bonds anywhere in the United States. It's Belfast Bonding Company. Uh, you can look us up on the web at Belfast, belfastbonding.com. Uh, you can look it up on Facebook. We're a social media giant. Uh, and you can... Always call me, 1-800-689-5031. That's my uh, uh, 1-800 number. Uh, Bailfastbonding.com. And I'll put, like I said, when I interrupted you just now, I was saying <laughs> that I'll put links on heyhumanpodcast.com also. Yeah, and send me a link to that. I'll, I'll, oh, 100% I will do that, yes. But uh, Absolutely. It, the day-to-day business of this of this industry is not near as exciting as the moments in time but i have people all the time ask me to write a book uh, oh heck yeah I, I have a lady that's a publisher over in north carolina I'm, i made her son's bond one day and we were sitting in the uh lobby of the county jail and because you have sometimes two or three hours and i love to tell war stories i mean you, if you get me started it's kind of and i it's great i've got hundreds of them yeah and she's like let, let me get you a ghostwriter let's just write a book let me get you a, i promise you if it, and but some of the stuff is so weird weird is good that that it's almost unbelievable i was in a trailer one time i'll tell you this because it's a funny story yeah i was in this trailer one time pouring down rain the guy my partner and i were soaked i mean we're literally soaked we end up having to force our way into the trailer because people won't come to the door. And the trailer just, it's not much longer than this room right here, these two rooms. And it looks about like these two rooms, except it's trashed. I mean, broken down furniture, food out on the counters. We find the guy in the back under just a mound of blankets and old dirty clothes and stuff like that. So we get him out, and I see the ceiling of the trailer start to come down. And it's sort of like this popcorn ceiling, but it starts coming down like a big bubble, like you're blowing up a balloon. And I'm just fascinated by it because it's happening pretty quickly. And I'm like, it looks like somebody's up there, but there's no up there. It's just the roof of the trailer. And what had happened was the rain had rained so hard it had seeped through the roof because of the old tin trailer and uh, and it had pulled there and it was making a big huge bubble and just as we got the guy handcuffed and stepped out of the room the entire ceiling came down and exploded. I mean it was just there must have been 
200 gallons of water. It literally, water went everywhere. That's the funniest thing I've ever seen. I would have, I would have had a $10,000 on America's Funniest Video, if you, because it was so fascinating. My partner was, was hooking, well, we call it hooking them up. My partner was handcuffing the suspect, and I was just literally watching. It would be like if you were looking at that ceiling and watching a big bubble, and it got down about that. It was yeah. that big, and then it just exploded. <laughs> That's my funny story. That's a great one. Thank you. <laughs> Joe, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. Remember, if you enjoyed what you just heard, please go to iTunes and rate and review Hey Human podcast there. Thanks for listening. Bye.